Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Was that real? No. Okay, good. I was imitating you sitting down. What's up? Hello, listener land. It's Father Nathan. And Father Michael O'Loughlin for the first time in a while. That's right. We're back to the Denver version. The, uh, the guys are safely back in their book nooks. And I've supposedly had recorded like four podcasts. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. In the email, John's like, yeah, we got a bunch all lined up. So, but Must be nice. I know. Well, that's all right. Yeah, I guess we'll get on the ball. I like doing it every once in a while because if we could do like four in a row like we have in the past and there's nothing for like two months, you're just kind of out of yeah, out of podcasting shape. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it would seem like... We've been slacking, but you've been traveling. Yeah, this is my first time home in three weeks. So where'd you go? Uh, Jersey. Jersey. Uh, I came back through St. Louis, Cleveland, and then uh, I just got back from retreat in Phoenix with my Byzantine brother priests. Nice. So, yeah. How was it? It was good. Um, we learned about a guy I'll talk about in the next podcast a little bit, uh, blessed for the church. Uh, I slept nine hours, like three nights in a row, which is glorious. I haven't done that since I was five. Um, and, uh, yeah, slept, talked to my brother priests, drank nice, actually a lot of beer we had. At some point he'll actually tell us that he prayed. (laughs) What? You don't do that on retreat. <laughs> okay. So uh, there, there are different there are different kinds of retreat. Actually, there's diocesan retreats, which or eparchial retreats, which, which is what this was. Tend to be yeah. uh, guys getting together and just you know. Well, especially since we live so far away. My my closest Byzantine brother priest is Albuquerque or Vegas or Phoenix. So we see each other twice a year. Yeah. So it is a lot of like social in the evening, but we get a nice big four hour break in the middle of the day. And I did have an amazing prayer experience multiple times, but especially one night after uh remember how john mentioned on the podcast i think it was after um yeah after the funeral um father what was his name um from from up in fort collins i just totally oh father voss yeah father voss um father stephen voss when when he passed away going to the funeral and kind of saying this is what my funeral is going to be like uh this is what we have we have a a paraclesis and a a panahita these prayer services for the dead when we gather for retreat every year so that we can pray for our brother clergy who have died and we did lose another one this year father wes eiser who was really one of my mentors many times when i was a deacon and then uh, again when i was a, a baby priest um, amazing man, man I looked up to. So, you know, hearing his name and then imagining that my name will be on that list because in the Byzantine tradition, we, for these panahidas and the, the parasas, you, you actually list every name of every person who's died. You do it in the parishes for All Souls Saturdays, but then you do it, we do it for the retreat as well. And it was, it was really powerful. And then after that, I had had a, had a great just prayer experience sitting on the floor in the chapel, like, like we do when I was at Steubenville. <laughs> you don't, you don't sit in the pews at Steubenville, you sit on the floor. Um, pews. And it's all hippie pews um so yeah so and it, it was great retreat was wonderful slept a lot smoked my pipe one day which i remember to bring this time and then came back like two in the morning got in and oh wow yeah but it was yeah good retreat was retreat my brother priests are amazing amazing men like every service that ended they sat there for another hour just praying hmm. like you you in my experience you rarely see that with clergy but i think we just don't get retreat enough we don't get enough time yeah. to really not have to run and check our phones immediately after prayer you know so if you if you tell one of us do your 
like do do a prayer service and then like you are asked by the church not to check your phone, don't check your email, don't check your phone, don't check anything for another hour. Like that holy hour with your phone off after another hour. There was some father in the church who said that you know you're not really praying until you've been sitting down and focused on Christ for at least two hours, and then the real prayer starts. Yeah, you know, and if you really try that, you can feel it. You can really feel like I'm now settled enough. We have in the Byzantine tradition, we have what's called the Trisagian prayers. You know, they're just the the prayers. It's named after the the triple holy God, holy, mighty, yeah. and immortal. But it's this. You, you begin with you know through the prayers of our holy fathers. If you're a lay person, if, if you're a priest, blessed is our God, always, now, and ever, and forever, Amen. Then you go through this whole litany of prayers. It takes only about maybe twenty seconds, but it, it, it climaxes with the whole, with the Our Father. And the whole point is that you don't just start praying the Our Father. Like you need to kind of prepare yourself hmm. to pray an immense prayer like the Our Father. So you pray these Trisagian prayers first and it kind of puts you even within 15 20 seconds puts you settles your mind you know allows you to be aware of god's presence and then you can pray the our father like you shouldn't just say it without preparing yourself to say it it's such a powerful prayer given by our lord and the same thing happened here we, we, we prayed a, a parastas and a panahita which took maybe 45 minutes and then all of us just wanted to sit there you know it was this yeah. beautiful experience none of us jumped up and looked at our phone we all just sat there no one told us to we sat there and prayed silently and i remember just sitting on the floor going this is what retreat should be yeah. you know with my brother priests sitting here having just prayed for the souls of all the brother priests who died and you know gone before us they're praying for us from heaven god willing you know and and here we are together silently but together just letting our lord guide whatever we're doing at the moment yeah, it, was, it was very powerful there you go it. good yeah. retreat yeah it was yeah normally i finish daily mass and then it's like off to exactly off to orange juice off to meetings yeah. off to yeah. Today, I, today was great. We have a sandwich makers at uh, St. Joan of Arc that make sandwiches for the Holy Ghost sandwich line and the Father Woody, um, whatever, oh, yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. And uh, so I just slapped some bologna and cheese for, you know, an hour <laughs> afterwards. And one of the ladies was like, oh, it's, you know, it's so great, you know, that, that you'd come here. I was like, how long have you been doing this? And they're like, well, 18 years. Wow. Like, I came once. <laughs> I came once. You people are amazing. <laughs> but I told him, I said, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes it's like, am I doing the right thing? Like, am I am I in the right place, mm. you know, with your day or, yeah. you know, scheduling, whatever? You got a pretty good idea. If you're making sandwiches for the homeless, <laughs> like, there's, there's probably a good chance, you know. Yeah. Normally, I'm just going back to my office, opening mail and, you know, checking the emails or something like right. that. But, you know, slapping some bologna and cheese on some... Uh, some wheat bread. Why not? Yeah, they are very ordered at that place. I mean, like I got I got checked a few times. Really? Yeah, it was just like um, we don't we don't put the mustard on like that. <laughs> I was like, okay, and then like I was like, all right, I'm gonna switch to bologna. And she was like, um, you actually start with that row. Thank you. I was like, man, I'm a total failure. Well oiled machine. And then this guy said, the good news is you can't be fired. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Anywho, well, good. So, yeah, Father John, Father Mike, we're glad that you guys are ahead of the game. Uh, again, we are beetle bombing it here in Denver and hoping to catch up a, a little bit today. Um, this is kind of a time-sensitive podcast in part. I had to ask uh, Father Michael before we started um, when this was coming out, and he said this Thursday, and if we if we schedule it out, um, I don't think there'll be another one before the election. 
That we do, yeah, you're right. That we do, yeah. yeah. And I, I know that just the sound of the word election is probably causing some of you to have minor convulsions in the belly. Some just turned off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're well within your rights. Did you read? Whoa, that is really loud. Hello. <laughs> Right over, right over your head. I totally too. forgot that that thing was here. It just sounded like somebody screaming at me. Literally just jumped. Ah! Your, your fro that like leapt in the air. I was like, took a couple seconds. I was to like, come what is going it. on right now? Um, did you read Archbishop Shapu's article uh, about the election? I started it and honestly have not finished it yet. But I, 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 there's like four articles of his I have in my reading list. Goodness, that I do. Yeah. it was. I'm sure it was amazing. It was perfect. It was yeah. so, so good. We should put links to all those. On yeah, the I really do. Um, Gosh, yeah. So I know that some of you are walking in the barren desert of uh, what exactly <laughs> is going to happen to our country, what what is happening you know, in the world, etc. Um, right now, yeah, we certainly have those um, concerns. This is not necessarily a podcast on how to vote or if you should vote or who you should vote for. Rather, uh, I want to just propose uh, going through, we in Colorado are voting on a particular issue that is uh, pertinent not only for uh, those of us in Colorado, but really for all those throughout the nation. We have a proposition on the ballot for physician-assisted suicide, mm-hmm. you know, Proposition 106. And uh, for the last three weeks, the bishops have asked, the bishops of Colorado have asked us to preach on it. Do you have to do that as well? We don't, but I've been taking advantage of all the materials I've been oh, yeah. I've been handing those out. It's great stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in terms of physician-assisted suicide, uh, they're couching it in terms of, you know, compassionate care oh. and, you know, death with dignity and all that stuff. And uh, certainly, you know, the church has pronounced repeatedly on the dangers of of suicide of any kind, yeah. whether it's assisted by another person, even a doctor, um, it is not only immoral, but it's it speaks of as Pope Benedict calls it uh, an uncompassionate society, mm. um, where we would say to our suffering members, "We actually don't need you anymore. Right. You're, you no longer have a value." Right. Um, I think we're on the same page in terms of euthanasia. I don't think we really need to go into that. Yeah, I, I think Do I think you, it's it's. I don't either. I think it's important to start with, you know, uh, the, the, John and, and Mike and and Andrea and uh, who else was there? They did a podcast. Oh on yeah. this, and it was wonderful. Yes, exactly. And it, it was so go so go look it up. I forget what it was called. Euthanasia, mercy killing, something like that. Yeah. Physician suicide. It, maybe about a year ago, but it was it, it was amazing because Andrea was on there, Polito, and she right. being a nurse was able to talk from a place of immense compassion. Like, she sees suffering every single day. Yeah. I joke about her because, you know, when she comes to our Lord's Day, sometimes we have the graces from the week where we just share a grace from the week uh, where God acted on our life and we responded. And she, we always have to have her go last because hers are always the most amazing graces. Yeah. She's pretty much, what, a, a a hospice nurse for kids. Yeah, she's a know? she's a nurse oncologist for, for children's yeah. hospital, which many of them have inoperable brain tumors, yeah. so... So she has this obviously this heart for compassion and and mercy and and I think she on that podcast and I you know to reiterate here said it very very well you know it's it's hard to understand how much suffering someone is going through and so you I understand from a like a 
objective, secular point of view, why something like this would be on the ballot, why people would feel so passionate yeah. about it, because it's like they feel like this is this is the compassion to do. It. And I can I can even put my mind in a place where I understand that. But it's, it's you're right. It, it followed to its logical conclusion. It, it is easier as we've seen, I've seen a couple articles recently, it's easier to, to give someone the drugs to kill themselves than it is to go through the whole complicated process of trying to explain why suffering when turned into sacrifice is beneficial for the salvation of myself and of others, of, of saying how helpful it is for a loved one to stand by their loved one's side and watch yes. them suffer, to, 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 to walk with them, to all the things that are it's just so much harder than just saying the easiest option is just to end it. You know, it, it, but we, I think we do need to understand that, that we don't understand, that we can't experience how much pain someone is in in that case. But we have people like John Paul II, like those who experienced immense pain, allow that to be a witness. And so even if we don't understand how much pain someone is in, if they're, if they're considering that as an option, we do have wonderful saints in the church who have been there and who didn't give in to what I'm sure was a temptation, yeah. an immense temptation in their life they did not they, they, and and they 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 manifested the pain they were in they were vulnerable about it and they let the world see them suffer and they knew that since Christ himself suffered that this is in the end a good thing when it's turned from suffering which is evil into sacrifice which is good and which could also you know we could call it love yeah anyway well i mean if you i mean kind of footnote here if you want to hear a much deeper explanation of particularly John Paul II's uh, experience of suffering and feeling of uselessness at the end of his life, um, I just encourage uh, the listeners to go to Father Brian Larkin's uh, parish website, Our Lady of Lords, and listen to his homily from this past week, where he tells a story from uh, uh, George Weigel's, I think it's the end of the beginning, where John Paul II had those exact feelings. Um, So kind of shameless plug for Father Brian. There's going to be another shameless plug later, but I'll save that. Um, I think that in terms of euthanasia, we have talked about it enough. You know, like, oh, yeah. I mean, we've we've addressed that topic. Also, uh, if you get a chance to look up the Gospel of Life um, by JP2, mm. um, Evangelium Vitae, just do Control-F or whatever it is, Apple F, um, on your keyboard, and look up all the passages on euthanasia. Hmm. It's incredible. Hmm. It's incredible what he has to say about it, and I think it's significantly relevant for our own time. I particularly want to approach it, and I already did this with my own parish, um, so if you're from St. Joan of Arc, you can just, you know, turn it off, because I'm just going to do my points from (laughs) two weeks ago. Um, But uh, uh, I think that as a Christian... um, we look to Christ to determine how how should I live as a as a Christian in the world. If I'm supposed to be another Christ, then I'm supposed to look at Jesus and say, "How am I supposed to do this?" And and in particular in this issue, which is death and encroaching death, um, we look to Jesus and we say, "All right, I can look to your life and draw some um, not only points, but you are the model. Yeah, you are the way, the truth, and the life." So that's what I want to do today. Sound good? Absolutely. We do not want to go over, you know, an hour, so uh, not to freak people out, but uh, I, I am kind of, now that I've been screamed at by the loon, um, <laughs> I will make sure that that we are not going to uh, approach that. So first and foremost, I think we understand that, that Jesus knew that he was going to die. Yeah. 
It wasn't something that just accidentally happened, like, hey, what's going on? Why are you arresting me? Um, And then they're putting him on the cross, and he's, like, confused. He knew. Like, I think in that sense, we can also uh, allow Jesus to model for us what it's like to receive a terminal diagnosis. Mm. To know, like, you will you will not emerge from this. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and instead of just saying, well, you know, just get over it, he himself had to go through the the, the difficulty, the, the strain, the suffering, the even um, emotional suffering of, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, but not as I will, but as you will. Yeah. Um, too often I think we just leap into, you know, into the resurrection or into, you know, kind of, oh, everything will be all right. But also, like, this is going to be really hard. And um, there's no getting around that. Yeah. And Jesus himself invites people to participate in the anxiety that he's feeling in the garden hmm. and just a- asks, you know, could you pray with me? Yeah. Um, I think these are good points, you know, for all of us to just say, you know what, I don't know what to say to a person who just got either a terminal diagnosis themselves or like, you know, for their kid or whatever, but maybe I just need to to be with them and to pray with them. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever had that? Has anybody ever asked, like, shared with you, like, I'm going to die? Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that, that, that if if you get that terminal diagnosis, that can be one of the loneliest things. Yeah. It's just like if, if you're if you're a bishop, if you're the pastor, if you're the oh, yeah. father. I mean, like like it, it, you're in certain roles in, in in situations where it is so lonely and it's objectively lonely. Like you just feel all alone. And so for for someone like that to invite you into their loneliness and just say, mm. I'm still going to be lonely. I'm still going to be. Ice. You're not experiencing what I'm experiencing, but I'm I'm still asking for your your in a sense uneducated in, in the sense that you don't you don't feel what I'm feeling companionship in this in this experience I I have and it, it it's very very awkward you you have, almost have to force yourself just to be present and not say anything and not try to judge and not try to give advice um, it's and it's so awkward especially for a priest who's used to trying to explain everything but it's it's beautiful I guess it's beautiful in the awkwardness so yeah well, I know that when Father Goronsky got his uh, yeah. terminal diagnosis, he had to console the the what's that guy's called like the um, enterologist or what, um, the, the guy that was looking at his X rays. Okay, and he's just like radiologist. It, yeah, radi. It's like it's over, and he's like, yeah, it's over. You know, but even still, like Father Goronsky had to say like leaving that leaving that room with mm-hmm. that person who just gave him that that information. Yeah. Um, he wasn't even prepared for it. Yeah. He wasn't even ready, hmm. you know, to go through that. And then slowly, like, you know, uh, people were able to, sh- to share his, his news and also like, you know, to talk, to talk with him, have him kind of express what he was feeling. So yeah, yeah it's an, just cause, just cause, you know, we're priests and we have the whole of the gospel laid out for us. doesn't mean that, that there's just like a magic pill, like, oh yeah, just read this passage and get right. over it. Right. You know, um, so that's kind of the first point. The second thing is um, Jesus Jesus goes to the cross, um, and uh, they offer him gall. Mm. It's a strange, you know, thing where, um, and in the time of the crucifixions, they would give the person gall, which was a kind of narcotic, to not only take away the pain, but also to relieve themselves of, uh, like, maybe they'll scream a little bit less. Mm. You know, it won't be as, you know, kind of graphic um or it will be graphic but perhaps i won't notice it as much yeah um i think that 
It's important to know that Jesus doesn't take the gall. That doesn't mean that we, as Christians or as Catholics, have to refuse pain meds. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a way, what he's modeling for us is he wants to embrace this with the totality of his existence yeah. um, and be completely aware of what's going on. Yeah. I've seen so often, you know, going into, you know, hospital rooms where the person is totally drugged mm. and there there's no way that they can communicate either to the other persons around them or the other persons to them. I mean, there is a kind of a mysterious way in which people are still talking and and even if they're completely like even comatose like they can hear them yeah. but there's also a way in which it's very different when you're actually engaging with someone right um and i think those last moments are important moments that we shouldn't just say look just just get me through this mm. you know like jesus didn't just say i know i have to die right like just put me out yeah so that eventually i'll die and then I can get on with this whole resurrection thing. Yeah. <laughs> he really wanted to like drink the cup, you know, to the very end. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's uh, that's kind of second, third level calculus. Right. That's like the 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 bread of the saints. Mm. But at the same time, we should we should be pointing towards that and say, in some sense, we should aspire to that. Yeah. Um, we should aspire to that kind of willingness to to take on our share in the sufferings of Christ so that somehow we can fill up what is lacking. And he wanted to make sure that we knew that he experienced these things fully, so that mm-hmm. if we are suffering, yeah. we, we cannot say, well, Christ's burden was lighter than mine, or, or, or in the yeah. midst of suffering, he did something that would alleviate the pain, and I'm not able to do that, or the yeah. drugs aren't good enough for That's it, or whatever point, it yeah. is. that we when, we when we read it, he says he, it's kind of an odd word for it, but he, he savored the what humanity has to go through. He he lived it and he experienced it fully rather than somehow having any sort of lessened experience so that I have no way to say, well, I'm suffering this and Christ didn't have to. You know, he made sure that we knew that he was a companion and already carried that cross that we are now carrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because, I mean, okay, did Jesus have, um, I don't know, like, uh, such a severe skin disease that he couldn't be touched by other people. No. Right. Did he have leukemia? No. Um, every person has their own uh, particular cross, but their particular cross is, in some sense, a share in Christ's cross, which ultimately is not only just physical suffering, but emotional, social, and at at the highest point, spiritual because he felt for us the separation of the separation from God by sin. Yeah, that sin caused. He became sin for us. My brother, so. my dad has this experience when he was down in Socorro, New Mexico, and he used to drive this mobile MRI machine because he's an MRI tech, mm-hmm. and he would drive it down. And he says when he would drive to these reservations in New Mexico, these native reservations, and he would say that the the natives were many of them were the Native Americans were so incredibly tolerant of pain. He, and he said, you know, he literally just had an MRI machine. He wasn't an emergency room, but he'd pull this truck out of the reservations to, to and start scheduling appointments for people. And he said this one woman came walking onto the truck one time and just was kind of like 
she could, he could tell she was in a bit of pain because she was like kind of holding a jacket against her stomach mm-hmm. and she he just figured she had like extreme discomfort or something like that in her stomach and so finally he walked up to her after he finished the last scan and she moved the jacket and there was literally a two by four stuck <gasps> into her stomach oh. like it is shot out of a machine and just literally stuck in her stomach and she was sitting there for about 10 minutes completely peacefully looking Whoa. slightly uncomfortable until he finished the previous scan and of course he had to call for life light he had to, to get her out of the go to emergency room but but, you know, he used to share with us that tolerance is different. So it, it is just like you said, I had one guy in a hospital one time tell me Jesus only suffered, you know, for three hours on the cross. Jesus only suffered for, mm. you know, a few days as he was being scourged. Like this is the case. I, and But what we don't understand is that the, the it's not only the quantity, but the quality of suffering. This is this is God who condescended, humbled himself, took the form of a slave willingly, as Philippians says, and decided to to do this, you know, and none of us, no human would ever for the, you know, would ever condescend that low to and, and to experience that much suffering comparatively to the dignity of your position. We don't suffer willingly. And, and you know, it, it would be so hard. And of course, he's God, so it was heroic what he did. But we cannot compare the suffering of Christ and our own suffering quantitatively. But if we understand the gift that he gave us in suffering and what an immense gift that was since he didn't have to suffer at all but he decided to to save us of course and and to be a witness to us that that that's the 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 quality of the suffering if you will the 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 immensity of what he gave up in order to witness to us his love for us that's where we always look in awe and I understand when someone's suffering immensely and they're trying to compare their suffering to Christ like a good Christian would. And in, in that situation, that they, they in, the, in the midst of immense suffering, they say, no one has suffered this much or, or no one can suffer this much. It's like, you know, in one sense, you're right. And, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, you know, disregard what you're saying here. Mm-hmm. But, but, but we, we have to understand in an objective way, Christ experienced and knows our pain yeah. on, a, on a personal level yeah not only is someone who believes what we say oh jesus i'm suffering i'm I, my pain is at a 10 it's, he's not just like oh i believe you like we might as human beings he says i know like i feel your suffering i know what it's like to suffer that much and i think that's very important for us to understand when we when we are witnessing by the way i think this topic is brilliant the way that you compare you know, mercy killing euthanasia, physicians who suicide to Christ's final hours. There's something, if we are in the midst of that suffering with the terminal diagnosis, it is so important to understand Christ's companionship in this and that we share the same cross. He didn't have his cross and I have my cross. It's the same cross. It's yeah. the cross of Christ that we carry and he offers to us to help him. And he always, of course, helped. He already carried it and he's carrying it now. And um, to, to, don't get too caught up in the details. The devil's trying to convince us, oh, he didn't suffer this much, or he right. doesn't care, he's not watching. That's evil. That's yeah. wrong, you know. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard, because, I mean, then you could you could just, you could fracture it down into, like, well, Jesus never experienced the, the death of a spouse, mm. or the death of a child, right. or the death of a father, you know, like, like his own father, right. you know? It's just like... Come on, yeah. You know, like you're right. That's that's the evil one trying to isolate you. No one understands you, right? No one could possibly feel what you're feeling, and no one could ever feel it. Which means that you're alone. Yeah. Um, Some, someone told me one time, and I thought this was brilliant too. They said the work of the devil is is when you are 
when, in other words, when he's tempting you to sin in little ways, he's saying, oh, this is such a small sin. This is such a small sin. It's not, it's not going to be too offensive. It's not a big deal. Just do it like everybody does it. It's not a big deal. It's not that bad. And then he gets you to, he gets you to tempt you to, to sin one level higher than that. And then right. he says, whoa, that was way too big. Look what you did. Look what you did. Christ cannot forgive that. And the, the brilliance of the devil, his slyness, is that he says, he tells you this isn't that bad until he says that. That's really bad, and there, mm-hmm. there's nothing in between those two, and and mm. so we we go from we go from kind of walking down a path saying oh this isn't so bad to saying you are now unforgivable, mm. and and yeah. you know right. we, we we cannot say that Christ understands us, He loves us. There's nothing He didn't go through that that we can't that He doesn't understand, and there's nothing we can do that He doesn't have a very visceral personal mercy for. Yeah. yeah. Next point is um, there's always people kind of not just the person who's suffering, but kind of a community around that person. Um, It's interesting. So here's the passage from Luke 23. Uh, They divided his garments by casting lots. The people stood by and watched. The rulers, meanwhile, sneered at him and said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the chosen one, the Messiah of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him, and they approached him to offer wine and called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him, there was an inscription that read, this is the king of the Jews. So you have others who say, I won't believe in a God who allows for this suffering. So so get mm. down off the cross. Right. Like, end right. this. Right. End this kind of show, um, because it really has no value. And the evil one is really the, the tempter who says, there's no value in your pain. Mm. There's no value. There's no redemptive value in the suffering that you're enduring. Right. So find a way out. I will believe in you. We will believe in you if if whether it's God or, you know, Jesus, um will believe in you if you somehow find a way to to cure this person. Yeah. And for the person who is suffering, whether it's a terminal illness or even like old age, um it's irreversible. There's no going back from it. Yeah. Um so, in part, you have people around who are saying a kind of compassion, like, we, we want you to stop, and we want this to end, so we're going to propose this to you as really your only option. Hmm. And, um, and then you also have, you know, kind of people who are not even involved in kind of the family and friends of whether it's Jesus or even people who are ill, saying... Well, we would want them to have this option. Right. It right. seems like it's compassion, right. but it's not. Right. It has nothing to do with that. And then I think that's where the, the podcast that, that the Rome guys did along with Andrea was was brilliant because they said, you know, what we what we call freedom, like the ability to choose between one thing and another, when you, when you're suffering that much and the option is put on the table, you don't feel like you have freedom anymore. I'm mean, like, when you're if suffering that immensely, it's like I either have the freedom to end the suffering or the freedom to continue suffering. And and it, the way that we look at it nowadays, like in our secularized culture, that's not an option. Who wouldn't choose to end the suffering, yeah. even if it meant death? But that's the exact opposite of the Christian message. The Christian message mm-hmm. is, is, I don't have the option to end this. So I'm going to call upon Christ to to make it beneficial and to find joy in it. 
it yeah. rather than because that that's what true freedom is is of course the ability to do good the ability to do what 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 is Christ like and, and good so when we say what well, you 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 have someone who's suffering immensely and you say choose between continue to suffer or I could end it all right now. Not a true choice. It's just like telling a guy that's discerning celibacy. Mm. Hey, here's an amazingly beautiful Catholic woman who's really holy and here's living alone in a rectory for the rest of your life. Which one are you going to choose? That's not true freedom either. What do you think he's going to choose? You know, you have to propose the good of discernment and then say, do you have the freedom to choose? And so what I think with the community is that you say, if I have someone, and this is the role of a pastor, the role of a family member, if you have someone that is, has a terminal illness and you say to them, I am going to be your community, I'm going to be your companion through this, the only option is, is to take this suffering and turn it into sacrifice, make it have a point, make it have an end goal. I mean, physical touch is my love language. So I like when I see someone like that, I always almost want to like say, can I lay next to you in the bed, in the hospital bed here? And just, just so that you, you, you feel that there's someone else in this with you, you yeah. know, what, whatever it is, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to be. Okay. Okay. That's, that's an option. <laughs> Don't make this awkward. <laughs> I didn't make it awkward. Some people actually love that. Yeah. But it's like, there's, there's like, you know, don't let people tell you that, 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 Ending your life right now is a good thing. Don't, because right. I'm going to tell you the exact opposite, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to, I'm going to. I wish I could do this for you. I wish I could turn your suffering into sacrifice for you. I wish I could give you joy in this. I wish I could. I can't, yeah. but I, I can stand next to you and and be the the angel on one shoulder that says. Don't listen to those who are trying to tell you that the only option or the more likely option or even the compassionate option is just ending it. You know, mm-hmm. don't listen to them. Here's another. Here's a more freeing, more Christian option, and I will do as much as I can to be compassionate, to walk with you in this, and to suffer with you. And the saints, the saints who actually do this precisely for Jesus, are listed in John 19, where it says, "And standing by the cross of Jesus were Mary, his mother, and the John, his disciple, yeah. Mary of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene." Yeah, um, they're standing by. There's nothing they can do. They don't have medicine, they don't have, you know, kind of food, water, etc. Yeah. All they're able to do is minister through presence. Yeah. And they're able to say to this person, you are not alone. Exactly. I think that's so beautiful, especially because uh, Our Lady of Sorrows, the, the, the sequence that we sing for Our Lady of Sorrows, and the song that we sing during the... Uh, the stations of the cross is the Stabat Mater, mm. you know, and and really it's just like you know standing by the cross of Jesus. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know, and all we're able to do is watch what He's doing, um, and allow ourselves to be present to His pain, and in some sense to console His heart, um, and allow His heart to console us because the fact that we see this cross is actually our salvation. We're grateful for it. Yeah, so. And then the final person um, is uh, the people who are suffering in the same way. Hmm. So sometimes people say, well, you know, like they have faith, but these other people don't. Hmm. So um, you may be able to say, I could go through this because I have faith. They don't have that. I see. So, I mean, what good is it? Um, and it's interesting because, remember, Jesus was not crucified alone. Now, one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and others and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation, indeed we have been condemned justly. For the sentence we receive corresponds to our crime, but this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he said to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hmm. So one of them without faith is like crying out saying, just end it. Yeah. Just end this right now, um, both for you and for us, if you cared about us. Um, but one is crying out without faith. Yeah. And so he's kind of being like, you know, just, I don't know, he's terrified. Hmm. And then the other one has this perfect resignation of, um, you know, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then he says to them, today you will be with me in paradise. Hmm. And I think it's important for the Christian community to be able to be present to all persons. And, you know, you see this in Mother Teresa. She wasn't just, you know, attending to Catholics in the home for the dying. They were Muslims, Hindus, atheists, all sorts of people. The people in the AIDS hospice in in San Francisco, you know, exact same thing. And they would all kind of repeat, I I felt like I was an animal hmm. and now I'm an I'm an yeah. I'm gonna die as an angel. Yeah. Because I'm not alone. And I'm actually I have a dignity that surpasses this disease, yeah. this illness, this whatever. Um so I think it's important for us to keep pointing people towards Jesus's cross and say that's ultimately how we go through this. Yeah. I mean, we can go through the whole kind of moral argument or civic argument that, you know, this is wrong for society. And I think we need to do that because we are living in a faithless culture. But as Christians, if we actually model for other people, this is how you do this, yeah. then they're going to say, man, they died in a very different way. Yeah. And he, I was talking to a hospice nurse, and she said, I can tell the people to have faith and the people that don't. Hmm. The people that have faith, there is kind of this this peaceful letting go. Yeah. People who don't, like this one lady she described as like clutching her arm just like she was so scared, she was just holding on for dear life. Mm. So I think it's important for us uh, to model the way for persons, and the way has already been has already been trailblazed. Yeah. You know, it's Jesus. Yeah. So um, that's the long and short of it. Proposition 106 is a stupid idea. Please vote no <laughs> on it. Um, and, uh, and, and then also, like, you know, uh, model for uh, your friends and family um, a love that is compassionate um, in all stages, and especially in those final stages. Yes. Okay, amen. Kind of a kind of a downer topic, but I'm I'm a little under the weather, so I'm I think yeah. it's perfect. I yeah. just I feel so good. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a downer topic. I really believe that that our Lord on the I mean on the cross, as much as it appeared, and I've said this before, I know, but as much as it appeared to be this just horrific thing, which of course it was. Like he had to know the gift he was giving us at that moment and had to therefore have joy. Like it's not a surface happiness at all, but this deep, deep joy that like, like the joy in being able to give salvation to those he loves, you know, a frustration that not everybody would accept that gift, but a joy that it was, he was at least able to offer it. And it didn't look like joy at all. And I think that's the message. If we understand that what Christ did brought him joy, it's much easier to suffer when you're saying, this doesn't feel to me like joy, right? Mother Teresa is bringing her up again. Didn't say that. Like nothing in, in her experiences of desolation, she probably would have said, nobody sees joy in this. I don't see joy in this, but there is a deep joy because what she's doing 
is a gift that has eternal consequences for those who witness it. And the fact that the Christ did have eternal consequences, but Mother Teresa did have eternal consequences. When you are suffering that much, your your surrender of that suffering to Christ to turn into sacrifice has eternal consequences. Like souls, including your own primarily, yeah. can be saved through your suffering. Like That can be such an immense gift. Even in your own family. I mean, people don't realize you're not going to have the same freedom to be able to say those final words to people. Yeah. You know, like the the things that people say before they commit suicide. I mean, it's like terrifying because like there's no, there's nothing back. There's just this letter or maybe no letter and then it's over. And so for these people, like it's not like an extended process because you see a lot of reconciliation happen around a deathbed, not just with the person and the other people, but actually siblings reconciling yeah. with each other in the presence of their parents yeah. um you know like children reconciling in, in in the presence of their of their father or something like that right so that would be siblings and, and, you know and, what i mean yeah and those reconciliations are not necessarily things that we can control i mean it's a grace-filled moment so i think if we think that death has to be something we control and if we think that when we control when we die and with the state of mind we're in when we die if we think that it's better to be able to control that and therefore kind of control the reconciliations happening around the bed like we are we are saying that our what we do here is merely human where of course reconciliations among siblings among parents all that stuff is is impossible forgiveness if you listen to the forgiveness podcast is impossible yeah. for human beings so so if if we surrender control over d- death we're surrendering control over everything that happens all the beautiful things that happen around the death and then allowing the spirit to be in control of those things when true forgiveness true reconciliation all those good things can happen on the divine level rather than on the mere human level if we think that it's better for us to control those things then we're not allowing goodness and the potential goodness that the spirit offers to to be happening around those moments even if i am weak and vulnerable as we know we companions and when you talk about a friendship relationship when, when you're vulnerable and weak if people can see you suffer and they see you suffer as gracefully as possible in your vulnerability and weakness that can be an immensely spirit-filled moment and miracles can happen around that 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 that, that we are incapable of being in control of, and we can be witness to amazing things yeah. if, if we don't pretend that this is something I'm controlling right now, but rather I've surrendered it to Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, All right, here we go. Shout out. Strange, strange, uh, you know, like U-turn that we're going to pull or whatever. Uh, shout out to uh, Jason Zapasek, Zapacek, uh in Valley View, Ohio. Jason, thank you for the uh, big boy... Um, Sour Patch Kids that were individually wrapped. Um, and uh, I've seen those. I, I have story. great news. I went to the dentist uh, last week, and I have zero cavities in spite of all of the, uh, in spite of all of the, uh, you know, Sour Patch Kids that we've eaten. But if you've noticed, we were duly chastised on the uh, chewing on the podcast, and we refrained as much as possible from uh, chewing into the microphone today. So, so yeah, thanks, Jason. That, that is really funny. Is that your only shout-out? I, I got one more. Um, to uh, Sean Clark of Epiphany Parish in Normal. He was on the Axe team with my brother-in-law in September, which is their uh, uh, retreat team <clears throat> at, um, at Epiphany Parish. And uh, so he said that Sean would super enjoy a, a shout-out. So there you go, Sean. Uh, well done. Nice. God bless you. 
So your uh, your shout out about candy reminded me. I got this text from my sister in law Stacy. You guys know her from the podcast. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> she was uh, her 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 eldest daughter, who is now right. twelve. Um, is is uh, I know what you're gonna was say. on the Child Life podcast. So I, I said this to all the guys. So I got this text on a Friday, September 30th. After and, and Stacy says she's quoting Claire. So she's quoting Shaylee's younger brother Claire, who's nine years old. Uh-huh. And Claire is listening to the podcast. She says, "What is even the name of this podcast? They're just talking about candy." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yep. shout out to Claire. Thank I, you I for that, Claire Bear. I love her immensely, um, and to Stacy. Um, also. Uh, we got a another package that is the letter says treat and health all in one for our favorite banters banterers enjoying your podcast in canyon texas the mcconnellys they sent us a massive box with multiple bags full of what what father nathan well i i thought they were just ginormous snow caps but they're actually pretzels Ra- dipped in chocolate with nonpareils, nonpareils, and actually, I think there are massive snow caps in there too. Oh. They're, they're the big ones, and there's pretzels dipped. So that that's looks the, uh, amazing. It's health. The health, of course, is the pretzel part, and the treat is the chocolate. Thank you, part. So thank you for that. Um, yes, and then uh, real quick, let me pull it up. Uh, shout out to Meg Hunter Kilmer. Who uh, she's a missionary. She came to visit the parish two weeks oh, ago, maybe. Sweet. She's a missionary, kind of an independent missionary. The bishops kind of call her from place to place. It sounds like I need to look her up more. Um, huh. She lives out of her car and just does God's will. And she's she's um, given her blessing by multiple bishops to travel around the country. Wild, yeah, kind of doing an independent thing. Thanks, Meg. And then when I was when she came to the parish, I told her I'd give her a shout out. One of my parishioners got very jealous. She was like, "That's all you have to do to get a shout out." So, live uh, in your car and out. preach the gospel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to yeah, do that, Sam. So that's my other that's my other shout out to uh, Sam Clayman, my parishioner Samantha Clayman, who uh, I said I call her that Sam girl. Anyway, shout out to you, Sam, uh, for being a good parishioner. And thank you. Yeah, and thank you for being jealous of yeah, someone who's given their entire life living out of a car. <laughs> <laughs> to do so. sweet all right folks sorry for the uh if you can do anything else please pray for the defeat of proposition 106 Amen. uh just say one hail holy queen uh and make a good act of contrition <laughs> yeah so on behalf of all of us all right our computer's shutting down we have absolutely no idea if this is recording this is catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com like us on facebook we'll see you next week Amen. god bless what the heck it just said no Bye.